Thank you, band. It's great to have you with us today. I don't know about you as a, as a kid, but when, when I was a kid, Christmas just left me giddy with excitement. Christmas Eve was, was the one. That was when we would gather around the Christmas tree for reasons we didn't understand, would put out milk and cookies. We'd be in our little flannelette pajamas and our little dressing gowns all tied up nice and tight. We would look at the Christmas tree one more time, studying what we thought might be the gifts that were put out there for us. And look at these, these empty pillow slips, which were the closest things we had to stockings. And uh, knowing that miraculously, sometime over this magical Christmas Eve night, they would fill up with extra presents. And uh, I, I always found it so hard to sleep on Christmas night. Now, yes, for all the wrong reasons, for all of the selfish reasons and so forth. But, you know... I guess if there is a particular occasion to be absolutely giddy with excitement, even as an adult in the Christian life, I do not believe it's necessarily Christmas Eve. I believe it's this weekend right now. And I believe last night was the night you should have been giddy with excitement. And today is the day that you realize that every gift you could possibly want has been delivered by Christ Jesus himself. And so we're here to celebrate that fact. Are you a little bit giddy? Are you a little bit excited? Very excited. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Well, we are just, and I hope you take time this weekend if you haven't already, uh, we are just blessed with so many stories of the resurrection narrative, the, the power of Jesus and his, his overcoming that grave and overcoming death. And uh, perhaps this Easter you have an opportunity to, to read some of those um, in any of the Gospels. But we're going to have a look at one today um, in, the, in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in, in chapter 24. One of my favorites. Um, I love them all, but this is particularly one of my favorites. And it probably actually, honestly, it details just about everything that I know about the Christian life. Like if you were to just kind of ask you, Stuart, in, listen, in 30 minutes, can you just please tell me everything that you think is important about the Christian life? Here it is. This passage does it for me. And I, I'm just looking forward to sharing that, that with you this morning. Today, I believe, is a day to be giddy with excitement. I don't know if that is true for you or not. If it is true, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I'm thrilled. If it's not true for you, if perhaps for some reason, no, it's just another Easter, it's Sunday, can't quite even remember how I ended up here, but I figured it was a good thing to come to church today. You know, maybe that's the case too, but I pray that you will find your way back to, to what A.W. Tozer called the Fellowship of the Burning Hearts. The Fellowship of the Burning Hearts. It's the title of one of his books, and, and we're going to make a little bit more sense of that um, today. My most significant experience of running away from home was probably when I was around seven, seven or eight. Frankly, I can't even detail the reasons that, that led up to this. I just know at some point I remember being there at 8 Palmerston Court, Greensboro, and I remember being inside the house and feeling like I just want to be out of here. I do recall just having feelings of great anger. I, I don't know what injustice had just taken place within the Hunt household. I think we were down from from uh, mum and dad being home on that particular night to just one parent and chaos and I felt overlooked and whatever, whatever, whatever. It led to a moment where I just thought, 
right, I'm running away. There was no grand plan. I actually didn't know where I was going. I hadn't packed a suitcase. I, 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 I didn't know. I, I wasn't even sure whether Teddy should come on this one or not. Like, it's dangerous out there. Do you take Teddy or not? I mean, this is my problem. Should I inflict it upon him? So it was all by myself that I snuck out the door. It was the fly-wire door. I didn't even let it slam out of anger. I just quietly closed it. No, this was going to be one of those quiet departures. This was going to be one of those little departures where slowly but surely, everybody in the Hunt household becomes aware, Stuart's missing. This is terrible. We better call the police. We better do something. And slowly but surely, they would come to appreciate me in a whole new light. And so it was that I made my departure. You know, wandering away from home as a child is probably a, a little bit of a fantasy that crosses just about all our minds at one time or another. But it is possible in the Christian life as well to, to just, for whatever reason, and sometimes I've discovered, talking with Christians who have wandered far away from God, they've actually forgotten why. They don't even know. They remember way back, oh, there was something I was so angry with. I can't remember. But they just wandered and wandered and wandered and wandered so far that at some point or another, they actually forgot why they were wandering. And this seemed to be the case in the passage we're looking at here. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Let me read through to verse 35. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of, our, some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, 
for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where all of these events had taken place, where Jesus was appearing to the disciples, and they were heading away from Jerusalem, miles away. But here is a beautiful thing. For reasons we don't actually know from this passage, it was important that Jesus appeared to these two disciples. And this little account would be recorded for all time. It would bless the hearts of Christians throughout the ages. How many of us have wished that, not the wandering away part, but that we were on that road and we had that little encounter with Jesus? It's a beautiful story. But Jesus went and found them. They were wandering. They were miles away from Jerusalem. Jesus came and found them. He came and he sought them out. And that is one of the, the beautiful things about the Christian life. Yes, there are moments where we have doubts. Yes, there are significant times of pain and hurt and confusion. Yes, there are times where we might find ourselves straying from the one that we love. But Jesus comes and he finds us. He just suddenly appeared and he was walking along beside them. And he asks them, what are you discussing together? And then they go on, just as we read in that passage, doom, gloom, and terrible things. Are you the only one who doesn't know what's happening? They were so much focused on the problem that it was beyond their capacity to see Jesus in that moment. Have you ever had a time like that? So focused on the problem, you can't find Jesus. But there he was, right there with them. He'd come to, to find them. He was walking alongside them, even when they didn't recognize it. They didn't see him, but he was, he was there. And then we see a bit of a moment. It's kind of like a jolt. Jesus says in verse 25, how foolish you are. Honestly, sometimes we need that kind of a jolt. Sometimes when we are just so focused on the problem, so focused on everything that is wrong, a little exhortation is not out of order. Where Jesus comes to us and says, that's really foolish. Quite literally, the, the word means it's unwise and it's unintelligent. Sometimes our thinking, our behavior, our wandering itself, it's unwise and it's unintelligent. And a little bit of a jolt, a little bit of a reality check is not out of order. How foolish. It's just foolishness. What are you focusing on here? What's going on? 
And with that, Jesus has this tender moment with them. In verse 27, explaining to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. This is that area of great speculation. Who hasn't wanted to know suddenly what that little Bible study session contained? I mean, here is this amazing moment with Jesus. It will later be reflected as a moment in which their hearts were burning within them. This amazing little moment with Jesus where he personally is opening up the scriptures to them. The word of life opening up the word of God. Wow. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that Bible study session? And so many have speculated about, okay, well, what, what was it that Jesus talked about? Surely it was, at least as, as recorded um, back, back earlier in verse 20, 27 and verse 26, how foolish you are, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? It would seem that going back through the scriptures, at the very least, Jesus was pointing out two things that they needed to understand. Two things. Firstly, they needed to understand that the Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer these things. He had to go to the cross. He had to go down this path. But then he did it in order to enter his glory. He would be raised from the dead. He would ascend on high. He would sit at the right hand of God. That also must happen. Uh, Perhaps, and we don't know, but perhaps he talked about such scriptures as Isaiah 53, 2 to 3. In terms of suffering, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Perhaps Psalm 211, rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed one. Perhaps Psalm 22, 18, they divide my garments amongst them and cast lots for my clothing. Perhaps Isaiah 53, 5 and 7, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Perhaps it was those prophecies regarding the Christ that Jesus shared with them. He had to suffer in order to enter his glory. In that regard, perhaps he shared with them Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the capstone. Perhaps Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Perhaps Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Or perhaps Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. In my vision there before me was one like a son of man. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. And all peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. We don't know. But it's entirely possible, isn't it, that any of those scriptures, any of those prophecies regarding the fact that the Messiah, the Christ, must suffer and then enter his glory, perhaps they were a part of this special series, this Bible study session that Jesus led them through. What Jesus is helping them to understand is that the suffering, his death and his resurrection and entering into glory is at once the means of their salvation 
and it is also the model of their sanctification. It is the way in which they are saved, the way in which God deals once and for all with sin, taking that burden of sin off the person and placing it onto his son, where it would be dealt with on the cross. But it is also the way in which God deals with the sinner. Taking a vessel that's now being cleansed, but now purifying it and sanctifying it and using it for his purposes. I don't know if you've ever wondered just what it would have been like to be one of the disciples who ran to the tomb that morning, one of the women who discovered the stone rolled away and to, and to look in and realize and start to kind of absorb and digest this, he actually is not there. He has risen. And no doubt about it. It would be spectacular. It would be wonderful. It would be fantastic to do. But that's not our perspective. In Christ, our perspective is not outside the tomb looking in. Our perspective is entirely different. And we're going to get interactive in just a moment. Our perspective is in Christ from within the tomb looking out. Indeed, in the same way that Christ rose from that tomb, he has arisen within your heart, in my heart, our lives. What does that look like? Okay, this is where we need to get interactive. I need your help here. Everybody who's sort of sitting near a, near a blind, we need to raise those blinds. We need to, okay, what's it like inside the tomb to all of a sudden realize it is open and light is coming in? Okay, I was going to say blind people now, but, but people sitting near blinds, we can, Alwyn, can you grab that one for me? Yeah, Brett, the door, we've got one over there. So we're in the tomb, we're looking out, and all of a sudden there is an opening, there is light beaming in. Light and life, fantastic. I guess we'll let that little one go. You know, that opening's big enough for all of us. That is not just an illustration of the perspective from within the tomb. That's an illustration of the perspective within your heart. In Christ, even as he rose from the dead, even as that, that tomb is emptied, in Christ, something comes alive in your heart and your heart is now filled. Light and life. The truth of Jesus Christ now takes up residence within your heart. That is what is so exciting about the resurrection. And that's what makes us giddy with excitement. The resurrection is both the means of salvation, the model of sanctification. As the, the two on the road to Emmaus start to understand this, do you know what? Rather than straying from God, rather than wandering away, a moment comes and they're starting to return home. They're starting now to return home. As a child, I hadn't gotten far, to be quite honest. I was just kneeling down behind a bush outside my bedroom window. Nobody came to look for me. Nobody actually seemed to notice that I was gone, in actual fact. But there just came a moment where I realized, squatting down in the dirt there, it wasn't very comfortable. I made a really lousy prodigal son. I, I, I wanted to go back inside now, where it's light. It's dark out here, and it's dirty, and I'm uncomfortable. 
And I think that's a little bit chilly. So I came to my senses. I decided it's better inside than out. So my great homecoming, which was probably just a few minutes later, was actually, actually, I re-entered the door and I think one person said, where have you been? And that was it. That was my homecoming. That was coming home. But I knew in my heart how silly it was. I was where I wanted to be. I was where I needed to be. I was where God had made me to be. And this seems to be the experience of the, of the two here as well. Notice before when they were wandering, their faces were downcast. Now all of a sudden they've encountered Jesus and their eyes are opened. Jesus seemed as if he was going to keep going on further. But they urged him strongly, and I don't know what your version says here, but they urged him strongly to abide with us. Stay with us, remain with us. Abide is exactly the same word. And here, I don't know if you've ever sort of looked at our our little vision statement captured in three words here. The idea is that um, as abiding disciples of Jesus Christ, we desire to live fruitful lives so that God is seen for who he really is. He'll be glorified. That's what we aspire to as a church. I don't know if you've often thought to yourself, <laughs> got it, Stuart, but you know what? I still don't get the word abide. What does that mean? Like, unpack it for me. Let's do that right now. Let's unpack this for you. The disciples say to Jesus, would you please abide with us? Would you please remain with us? Stay with us. Come on, come inside. Abide with us. And Jesus went in and he abides with them. What, is that, what does that look like? Three things. He was at the table with them. He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Now, some say, oh, that, that wasn't necessarily sharing the Passover. It was just simply, this was, this was a meal that they were sharing together. But put it in context of what has just happened. They've just shared the Passover meal together. Jesus has given them teaching on what the Passover meal means. He has broken the bread before them and said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. He, he shows them the cup which they drink from. This is my blood, which will be shed for you. He has, he has reconfigured their understanding of the Passover. And that exactly what he has said has just taken place. And now they sit together once more and they break bread together. As soon as he does this, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The first thing I would say about abiding, how do we abide in Jesus? The first thing I would say is come back to the cross. There can be no abiding without first kneeling at the cross once more. It is why of the, of the, sacra the lasting sacraments that God has given to the church, yes, baptism and the Lord's Supper, we are to... We are to break bread on a regular basis. Some, our church does it once a month. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it more than that. 
but we are to do it continually on an ongoing basis until he returns to remind ourselves that here at the cross is the means by which we can abide. Here is everything we need to understand about the Christian life. It happens at the cross. We must remember there is only one way to have fellowship with God, one way to commune with God. It is through the cross, the work of the cross. We will never be acceptable to God except through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We must continually kneel and give thanks for what Christ has done on the cross. He has dealt with the sin and he was dealt with the sinner. We need to remember his body which has been broken for us. And when we do that, it is like our spiritual eyes are opened. God does something. We can recognize him in a way we've never recognized him before. We see him for who he really is. There is revelation and glorification that takes place in, in that moment. The cross. We must come back to the cross. That's the, the basis. Now, this next principle is going to seem really crazy to you. But there it is in verse 31. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And here it is. Principle number two, he disappeared from their sight. Now, you might be thinking, Stuart, how is that helpful? <laughs> well, in this. He had just given them a revelation of who he was, but now in disappearing from their physical sight, their very next steps would be steps of faith, just as are ours. Yes, we would love to, to be able to somehow open up a door and walk into any of these passages and narratives. I mean, how much fun to, to actually walk and experience these stories that are recorded for us in the Gospels. How precious. But ours is a walk of faith and it's a far richer walk. It is not walking along God beside us. It is walking along with God inside us. And that changes everything. But it is a walk of faith. And here again is where Scripture helps. Paul explaining this walk of faith and explaining the significance of the resurrection. In Ephesians 1 verse 18 says, Now here's my prayer for you, Christians in Ephesus and beyond. I pray that the eyes of your heart, did you know your heart had eyes? It can see. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, Jesus has been taken from a state of death. He has been raised to life. He has been ascended far above every principality and power there possibly is. And his name is above every other name that can be invoked. And the power that got him from there to there is serious power. Like serious power. What does it take to put a soul back into a body and to bring it to life? Few of us have experienced that in one sense, and yet all of us have experienced it in another. Because that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead 
emptied that tomb and sat him at the right hand of God, that same power is at work in every single Christian, in you and I, in everyone who believes. That sanctifying power, that means whatever your problem, God is the solution and there is power that can deliver you. Whatever your bondage, God is your source of freedom and there's power that can deliver you. No matter how dark the night, bright is the day because the power of God can deliver you. No matter how hopeless it seems, every day and every moment is now filled with hope because God has power to deliver you and enough power. The same power that raised him from the dead and ascended him on high above everything, that power is available to you and to I and that changes everything and that's the gospel of grace. And that's why we really seriously should be just a little bit giddy with excitement today. Today is a fun day. Today is a day of recognition of the power of God alive in you and I It's an awesome day. It's real. It is real. There is power to be free of absolutely everything. Power to live the life you've always wanted. Power, power, power. Enough power. More power than you could ever need or desire. And it's given freely and fairly to each and every one of us. Wow. That's just a little bit exciting. And I think that's, you know, Paul was incredibly excited by that. That's what the resurrection means. That's resurrection power. And it's available to you and to I. It's a walk of faith, yes. Faith in what? The object of our faith is incredible. The object of our faith is a risen saviour who has ascended and now reigns on high and his enemies are his footstool. That's the object of our faith. It's real. And no, we do not see him now with our physical eyes. But spiritually, our eyes are open so we can understand the power that is available to each and every one of us. Do you, do you get that? That is, that is pretty exciting. Principle one is come back to the cross. Recognize that fellowship with God is only at the cross. Principle number two is, yes, it's a walk by faith. But our faith is in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And principle number three is here set out for us as well. He disappeared from their sight. And you might feel like, oh, but did they not say, were our hearts burning, were not our hearts, sorry, burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? He has not left us alone and he has not left us without a witness. And this is why this book is absolutely remarkable. Every time you open its pages and in faith trust him to speak to you from it, he promises he will. He will be your teacher. You can have those moments where your heart burns just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You can have those moments. They can be yours because he's real. And when in faith you open up this book and you you turn your heart to God and say, teach me, Jesus, he will. He will. And maybe you need to learn a few little principles that can can help you to listen to him a little bit better. And, And hey, church is the place. We love teaching those principles. But we need to be opening this book on a regular basis and allowing, this is how God wants to bless our hearts to teach us and to show us how to obey all that he has commanded and to walk and be his disciple. This is the third way in which we can abide in him, in which he can stay with us and and remain with us. He loves to talk with us and open up the scriptures to us. And that is why I believe in describing the church, A.W. Tozer said, it is the fellowship of the burning hearts. It's the fellowship of the burning hearts 
This is where we gather as one in Christ with hearts burning for God because we've been changed forever and we want to be changed more. We've been touched by the power of God and, and we want to continue that transformation process, renewing our minds and continually becoming all that God would, would have us be. And when we do that, each and every one of us, each and every individual, when we can be described as somebody whose heart has burned within them because of their fellowship with Jesus, guess what? We have fellowship with one another. That's what church is. I know. Sometimes we get that wrong. Sometimes, as a fellowship, we spend more time burning our bridges with one another. But Jesus wants to come into that situation and he wants to say, stop burning the bridges. Let me come and burn in your heart. And when that is central, when that is key, when you allow me to stay with you, when you allow me to remain in you, when you allow me to abide in you and you abide in me, you will be a part of the fellowship of burning hearts. And when our hearts are all burning together, there is indescribable fellowship in our midst. That's the secret. That's the secret. And so, this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is a day to be just a little bit giddy with excitement. It is an incredible day to celebrate. It is a day to remember, no matter how far you've wandered, come home. Come on, come home now. How do you do that? How do you come home? How do you <laughs> abide with God again? Come back to the cross. There can be no fellowship with God but through the cross. Come back to the cross. Just openly and freely confess before God once more. Little things, big things, any things. But the cross is the place where it can all be handled. The blood of Jesus Christ atones for all our sin. It's a place of great deliverance and freedom. Come back to the cross. Walk in faith, knowing that great power is available to you to live the life that you've always wanted. And three, allow Jesus to come again by his spirit, through the word, minister to you, heart and mind, and, and be your teacher. To take you by the hand and to lead you through the Christian walk and the Christian faith. Because he loves to walk with you. Indeed, that's his promise too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do desire very much to be the fellowship of the burning heart. What a beautiful phrase. Lord, may, may every day be a day in which as we gather together, we can't wait to share the new things that we are discovering in God. That Jesus is the word most frequently on our lips, that you are the one that we want to talk about and share, that there is an abundance of testimony that gives glory to you and and that we just can't stop talking about what sweet fellowship we have with you as we open up your word and allow you to burn in our hearts afresh. 
Heavenly Father, I pray for the Vine Baptist Church. I pray for both our campuses that we will be a fellowship of burning hearts once more. Jesus, that we would come and bow the knee and and make the good confession to you that you are Savior and Lord. That we may return to you through the power of the cross, walking faith daily, by the resurrection power that is made available to each and every one of us and have sweet, sweet fellowship. As our hearts burn within, allowing, as we allow you to be our teacher. Help us to be an abiding people. Help us to live those fruitful lives and help us to bring you much glory. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. That's nearly got conviction. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen.